Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 12. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they, they had John to assist them. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand, then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we come into your presence freshly this morning with great anticipation of all Sundays, Lord God, to gather us together to hear a message, Lord, of being sent with the very power of the risen Christ himself and to watch as darkness flees. All of us come in here this morning, Lord, or we're online at home because we can't come in here this morning. We come in, Lord, with burdens that we're bearing, with fear that is encroaching, with things that we'd love to be able to give to you and feel like we can't, or maybe we're struggling to. What we're asking right now, Holy Spirit, is that you would come, that you would fall freshly upon us in this place, that you would speak to each of us, Lord, in a way that shows us very concretely that you see us and know us and love us. And that, Lord Jesus, you would be honored and glorified in this place today. And so here we are, Lord. We're listening. Would you speak? In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So I've got an encouragement for you as we're going, because you can hear some of the singing going on. If you have a little one with you and need a quiet room, we have one right back there that you can take full advantage of. Um, but we're, we are welcoming everyone here this morning. My name's Will. I'm the lead pastor here at All Souls, and we are super glad that you're with us this morning. And uh, as I prayed, we're expectant that God is going to move in a powerful way this morning. So a question, not a question, a statement he is risen. He is risen indeed. The question that I want to ask with regard to that is simply this. 
why do we say it that way? Have you ever thought about that? Why do we say he is risen indeed? Why don't we just say he has risen, right? Why don't we say something as a past event? Why do we say he is risen, if not because this very event that happened in the past has implications for past, present, and future? In the Greek language, it's called the perfect tense. We don't have that tense in English. We just have present. So it sounds like he is risen. That kind of happened. Yeah, and he's remaining risen. It's not simply a recognition. It's a declaration that victory has happened over death as we've been singing about and speaking about and praying about all morning. Something has happened that has literally changed everything. Everything. The question that we want to wrestle with this morning, friends, is do you live as though he has risen? Do you live as one who not just believes it up here, but who lives it out with every ounce of your being, who holds fast to that, and who changes your behavior because it's true? This morning, we continue in our sermon series through the book of Acts. We're calling the Mission of the Spirit. And for those of you that haven't joined with us, the invitation is to come back again. We meet every Sunday, not just Easter, right? <laughs> and yet every Sunday, we celebrate the same God who rose on Easter. Why do we worship on Sundays and not on Saturdays? Do you know the answer to that question? Because he rose from the dead on Sunday. That's why the church meets on Sundays. So every Sunday is Easter Sunday, which does not mean I'm going to be wearing a suit and tie every Sunday. But what it does mean is we get to gather and worship him together every Sunday. Today, our theme is simply this. He is risen. The mission of God can never be thwarted. Can we say that together? He is risen. The mission of God can never be thwarted. Four points for us this morning. First, the gifts, the work, the twist, and the king. They're short-ish points. So don't get yourself, you know, all bundled up there. Point number one, the gifts. In our very first verse of the passage that Kristen read for us, you see a declaration of who's a part of the church there. And it's easy to want to skip over verse one, but we must not do that this morning. You see, it says Antioch was full of gifts and miracles. You see prophets, teachers, and then it goes by name, Barnabas, Mannion, and Saul, who is also Paul. And all of them are gifted in incredible ways. God has gifted his church with people that literally have the power of heaven to do the work of bringing heaven to earth. Did you hear that? God has gifted his people with the power of heaven to do the work to bring heaven to earth. Why are we making this point this morning? Well, simply because of this. Antioch is not unique. We are the church, which means God has given those very same gifts here. You know what those gifts look like? You. Some of you walk in here and you see the the beautiful music, or you hear the beautiful music, you see the beautiful musicians, and you think, wow, they're really gifted. And you see this knucklehead on stage, you're like, wow, so he can sort of speak, right? And then, and then you see other people do crazy, awesome things, and you're like, what about me? I, I, don't, I don't feel like I necessarily have any of those gifts. Can I encourage you to realize, if you're in Christ, you are Holy Spirit gifted. Amen. The issue is not if you're gifted, but where and how have you been gifted? And you know the easiest way to find that out? 
It's not by taking a survey. <laughs> it's by getting your hands dirty in ministry. It's by choosing to engage in relationship. It's by watching as God leads and saying yes at every turn, wherever you go, whatever you want, I'm here. I give you my yes. And then watch what he does. God gives gifts to empower the work. That's our second point. See, we're already on the second point. You are sweating it out. We're a fourth of the way done with the sermon already. Verse 2, notice what they're doing. The work of the church. The work of the church. The work of the church is to pursue intimacy with our maker. They're fasting. They're praying. And they're waiting. I want you to know God is teaching us something in this season of our existence, isn't he? For those of you who've been around, you know. He's teaching us something about intimacy with him because he wants more of our hearts than we've even known we could give him. He wants all of us. So he's teaching us to make the time to actually sit in his presence. Yes, with the word, to read the word, but to not busy ourselves with the word. To not distract from him through the very thing that's supposed to bring us into his presence. To use the word for its intended purpose so that when we're in his presence, that word that was just a bunch of scribbles on a page 2,000 years ago becomes alive. It is the living word of God, holy and inspired. And we experience that when we make the time to sit with him and just as this first century church in Antioch experienced, when we do, do you know what the Holy Spirit does? He speaks. He speaks. He speaks. You're like, well, how does he speak? Is it an audible voice? Sometimes it is. Sometimes it's him speaking to our hearts. Sometimes it's him putting thoughts in our, in our minds. Sometimes, for me, a lot of times it's him downloading scripture that he wants me to go back to because it's going to be used later in that day and he wants me to battle there. There are lots of ways that the Holy Spirit speaks, but we're not, if we're not making room to listen, guess what we're not going to do? We're not going to hear him. How many of you, when calling your best friend, pick up the phone, and as soon as they say hello, you start talking, and you don't end talking until you say goodbye and you hang up the phone? Please raise your hands so we can publicly shame you. <laughs> See what I did right there? Yeah, right? No shame, but of course, we're all joking. No, no one does that. No one does that. You don't have a relationship if you're doing that. God made us for one purpose, to be in relationship with him that he would be able to share this amazing love that he is with a creation that he designed to receive it. That's us. It's the only reason why we exist. And so if you're again wondering, is this for me? Let me go ahead and cut to the chase. Yes. Are you human? If your answer is no, please leave. <laughs> but if your answer is yes, please know that you're always invited. It's the reason you were made. It's the only reason you were made. They are fasting and praying and waiting, and the Holy Spirit said, set Paul and Barnabas aside. So they did. They obeyed, and they went into this work. Now, what was their work? Well, their work was to go home. Their work was to go home. Barnabas was sent back to his hometown in Cyprus. Did you catch that? You might have missed it. 
Barnabas left home, was trained up, and then was sent back to go and share the work of the gospel. How do we summarize the work of the gospel in one word? Love. Costly, self-sacrificial, oftentimes very messy, love. That requires everything from you to give everything to you. Love. Not the fluffy, feeling kind of thing. Feelings follow action. This is how we know what love is. We talked about it on Good Friday. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for one another. That's the definition of love. It is self-willing, self-sacrifice. That's what love is. And so the cost to Barnabas to leave the home and the life he had developed for himself there in Antioch, and then be sent back home. And you know what Jesus said about going back home? A prophet is not without honor, except where? In his own hometown. I grew up in Rockland County. I know what that feels like. Right? Oh, you're a pastor now? That's funny. Right? 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 Rich, I'm looking at you, buddy. Right? Come on. Come on. We, it, that's just the way it works. That's the way it works. It's tough. It's tough when a prophet is not without honor, except in his own hometown. And yet... I also have tasted the sweetness of why God sends us home. I didn't need to learn about Rockland County. It's in my blood. It's in my DNA. I ache for what Rockland aches for. My friends, do you you know who else God did this with? This guy right here, Dr. George Cox. It's funny. Some of you might have thought, is that Dr. Cox? Because it doesn't look like him in that picture. That's the picture that they use on the website for him as a doctor. You know why it doesn't look like him? What is he not doing? I almost didn't use that picture, but then I did on purpose because he's very serious here. George, I know you're watching this morning. You need a new picture, buddy. Barnabas was called the son of encouragement. That was, that's what Barnabas means. It's actually not his real name. His real name was Joseph, but they renamed him Barnabas. Has there ever been, for those of you who call all souls your home, has there ever been a bigger Barnabas than George Cox in this place? No. The son of encouragement. God trained him up, up in Dartmouth and then in the Navy, and then brought him back so that he could serve suffering as a doctor for 60 years. The dude's 87, and he's still been working full-time his whole life, right? Amazing stuff. But one of the things that maybe you don't know about Dr. Cox is simply this. He is the most prolific evangelist we have ever had at our church. That man loves more people into the kingdom than anyone I've ever known. And it's not because he's trying really hard. It's not because he's doing something outside of what God has already put in his heart to simply love people. If you know him, you know that he does one thing very strongly, better than others. What is that one thing? Hugs. He's a hug doctor. Hug therapy is what he calls it. Just be sure that your back is not, you know injured that day. Warn him, right? Because he will squeeze you in half. But that's what he does. And the fruit of his work is all over our church and all over our community and all over the world. 
simply because God gifted and then called and sent George, just like he did Barnabas, back home. Question, where is God doing that in your life even now? Where has God gifted you? Where does your heart resonate? Where does it sing when you're doing the work? The reason why this man has worked his entire adult life is because he loves being a doctor. He loves helping people. He's been given the gift of healing. We don't think of it like that because he's a doctor, so he's cheating, right? No, God uses doctors. Imagine that, right? God uses doctors, and he has used this doctor to save many. He's given the gift of healing, and as he exercises that gift, he also feels the pleasure of the Father. And it's there that he wants to share the heart of the Father. Do you see how this works? Where do you feel the pleasure of your Father, the one who's made you specifically and uniquely? It's precisely there that he wants you to share his love with those around you. You following? Okay, good. We're already halfway done. The twist. What's the twist? Well, the twist in our passage comes when they make it all the way across the island. Cyprus is an island in the Mediterranean. They have to sail there, obviously, from Antioch. They go from the eastern tip all the way across to, no, the western tip. Nope, I was right the first time. The eastern tip all the way across to the western tip. And there they come up to this guy, Bar-Jesus, who's also called Elimas in our passage. Now, I don't know if you noticed this, because it's sometimes hard to catch all the details when we're just reading, but he's actually never named in our passage. Bar-Jesus means son of Jesus. Now, Jesus is a common name in the first century. We're not talking about our Jesus, right? The name there is Joshua, right? So, in, in, in Hebrew, that is. So, he's the son of Jesus, this guy who's not named. Well, what about Elimas? Elimas simply means magician, That's literally what the word Elimas means, magician. He's not named. Why is he not named? Because it's not about his name. It's about his function and what he's come to do and what God wants to grab our attention so that we don't fall into the same trap. This guy is so close to Jesus with a twist. Understand that Satan was the first bartender there ever was. He took the cocktail of God's grace and added a little twist of lemon or death. A little twist. Did God really say that you shouldn't eat of the fruit of the garden? Did he really say you shouldn't touch it? Did he really say these things to you? Can you really trust him or is God actually holding back on you? Does God just not want you to be like him? which if you've heard us speak about this before, you know that the ultimate lie is what? Adam and Eve already were. The tempter in the garden, the very first story in the scriptures, gives us such a window into the way the spiritual realm works and the ways that our hearts are constantly struggling and under attack. Now, if I just lost some of you, you're like, oh, he's talking all that spiritual stuff. Don't listen to that anymore. Please let me encourage you to to just listen for a few more minutes. Here's why. I guarantee you have felt even what you haven't understood. And too often our world's answer for that is to medicate and numb. God's answer is to set you free. 
you want that, if you felt that, please keep listening. The truth with a twist in the garden is also the truth with a twist from the second garden. The first garden was creation. The second garden was Gethsemane, where Jesus wrestled with his father. Know this. Jesus already knew he was going to the cross. He told his disciples that at the Last Supper, he, told, he turned to Satan and said, go do what you've come to do, son of perdition, right? I know why I've come, so that I can be handed over, beaten, and nailed to a cross so that on the third day I can rise. He said those words out loud over and over throughout his earthly ministry to his disciples. It was not a question in Jesus' mind in the Garden of Gethsemane when he said, Father, can this cup be taken from me? It was not a question. He wasn't wrestling with his calling. He didn't have a question about what the end result was going to be. Here's what he was doing. He was running into the arms of the only one who could actually care for him in that moment. Not my will, but yours be done. I don't like this. It hurts worse than I thought it was going to. It's crushing me. It's killing me. I don't want to be separated from you. Is there any other way? He's a son crying out to his dad for help. All the while knowing what he's already agreed to. Not that what his dad has forced him into. What he's already said, I'm going. Here I am, send me. I'm going to save them, no matter the cost. Please realize that this is a picture of intimacy that we so often twist. What do I mean? The guy that was just on the screen, Dr. George Cox, is watching us from the ICU where he's been for over a week now. That man almost died last Saturday. This close. And for days, the doctors have given him very little And as we have leaned in and prayed for him and cried out for him and asked for God's mercy to abound and asked for healing to break in, here's what the temptation has been all along to quote from Jesus in the garden. We want George to be saved, but not our will, yours be done. Friends, that is the wrong prayer to pray. Why is it the wrong prayer to pray? Do we know the end of George's story? Do we know? Listen, at the end of the day, we always yield to God and his better. So what did we talk about a couple weeks ago? Sometimes he gives us a gracious no for a better yes, right? We yield to God's goodness and his wisdom. It's higher than ours. But when we say this in the middle of the fire, I really want George, but, but, but your will be done. Here's what we're doing. We're guarding our hearts from the only one who's actually going to be able to care for us. We're saying, I think you might be not good. You might not be as good as I am. You might not have the same kind of goodness for George in mind that I do. So I'm going to guard my heart. And then guess what happens if God answers our prayers in the wrong direction from what we are asking? When we're already going like this, we just keep going. That's the twist, friends. We interact with God as if he's not good and not safe. Because we've all had those experiences where we've cried out for someone to be healed and the answer has come back. We thought, no. Please hear this. 
If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Amen. The old is gone, the new has come. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. If anyone puts their faith in me, though they die, yet they will live. God's answer to our prayers for healing is always yes. Always. It's simply a question of when. Is it going to be now or is it going to be then? But it's never no. It's never no when we have put our faith in the one that said to death, you lose. And death said, you're right. His answer is always yes. And so when we guard ourselves from God as if he somehow isn't as good as we are, all we're doing is taking the bait of the deceiver and making our hearts closed down from the only one who can actually care for us, no matter what his answer is, yes or no. Yes or not yet. Where have you struggled with that this week, friends? I've wrestled with him and wrestled with him and wrestled with him because I want to trust him with my whole heart. I don't want to give him 75%. I don't want to say, God, I want George Cox to walk out of that ICU. I don't want just a few more days or a few more weeks, or a few more months. I'm asking for 20 years. That's what I want, and I'm not going to stop asking until and unless you show me otherwise, which is where we go back to the fasting, praying, and waiting, right? Until and unless God shows us otherwise, we don't ask halfway prayers. We ask prayers without the twist. Because you see, Jesus, the king, our fourth point, is not okay with the twist. He's not okay with it. Saul, filled with the Holy Spirit, speaks very familiar words. Why are they familiar words? Because Saul himself has heard them. Because this magician who's functioning in dark magic and trying to twist the truth of Jesus so that the proconsul gets led astray, it sounds really good. It sounds a lot like Jesus, but it's a little bit different Beware, friends, beware. Paul says to him, you're going to be on the outside, a demonstration of what you are on the inside. You are blind on the inside. Now you'll be blind on the outside. Please realize, please realize that this was not a permanent judgment. It was a temporary judgment. Why? Because I want you to see that it was a missional miracle. That even in, 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 in bringing justice momentarily on this man who's being used by the enemy to try to bring people astray, hear the heart of the Father. It was always designed to bring attention back to the real Jesus. Not bar Jesus. Not close to Jesus. Not Jesus with a twist. The real one. The resurrected one. The holy one. Because when that's the case, all of a sudden, you start to interact and see this. Even the pro-council believed. Even he was astonished at the teachings. We don't know the end of the story of this magician. We hope that his story actually ended the same way, that he came to faith in the same way that, remember who's speaking here, Saul himself came to faith after he was blinded for three days. Missional Miracles. 
Friends, that's precisely what we've been praying for that guy. That's more like it, isn't it? Not just a smile, an Irish smile. This is our George. This is our George who, make no mistake about it, has been sent to the ICU. Why do I use that word? Because everything God is doing is missional here. That man has spent, like I said, 60 years serving this community. Every eye in that hospital has been on George Cox. The family has had to push people our people and hospital people out the door and say, he needs to rest because everyone and their brother wants to get in to see George Cox and he needs to sleep. So pray for him, visit the family, but please let George sleep, right? Here's the thing that's happening though. You know how we've been praying for our neighbors, the Hasidim? Do you know what Good Samaritan Hospital is full of? Hasidim. There's a priest, a rabbi, who's been going around. He's, I don't know if he's a, just a, a local rabbi or if he's uh, on staff there. But do you know he has visited George because he knows George? Do you know he grabbed George's daughter in the elevator and said, I'm praying for your father? We've been praying that God would give us an inroad into that community. What if God miraculously heals George Cox? I'm sorry, I said that wrong. When God miraculously heals George Cox. And all eyes in that hospital that, listen, gave him zero hope of surviving medically. They didn't know what was wrong. They didn't know how to fix it. And God said, not yet. Not now. When he is healed and every watching eye, the nurses, the doctors, the administrators, the head of the hospital has been down to visit him a dozen times. This man is beloved. He's the mayor over there. What better thing for God to do than to bring George to the edge of death and then raise him to new life on Easter Sunday? There are some of you in here, I see you, who know exactly what it's like to be at the edge of death and even dead and be brought back to life and then watch what God has done through your lives. Friends, God continues to do this and we believe he's doing this with George. And it's not because, listen, it's one thing if we just want it really badly, right? I just really want George to be healed, so I'm just going to keep praying it. And that's okay, because I'm, I'm his son. And when your kid comes to you and they just want something, you can let them ask you a thousand times as long as you're holding them in your arms. Even if your answer is going to be different than what they're asking, it's about that safe space. The Lord is our refuge and our strength, our ever-present help in our time of trouble. He wants us to run to him, friends. But he wants us to ask. And as we ask, he wants us to seek confirmation. And I want you to know that I have been praying without ceasing, as many of you have been. 
And we have received confirmation after confirmation after confirmation that George Cox is going to be healed. Isaiah 61, you see it on the screen, is one of those passages that does not necessarily have to do with, with healing something like this. It's when Jesus quotes it from Luke chapter 4, and he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach the good news to the poor, to proclaim liberty to the captives, to bind up the brokenhearted, to comfort those who mourn. The Lord brought me to this passage. It just happened to be one of my scheduled devotional readings this week. There's no just happens in God's economy. My father-in-law loves when I do air quotes, so I'm just going to keep doing them for a little while. <clears throat> there is no just happens in God's economy. Because when he starts to then go off, you just heard me quote the part that you're used to hearing, but then he says this. This is what it looks like to comfort those who mourn. Please don't miss this. We just ended the season called Lent. What starts the season of Lent? What day? Ash Wednesday. When you receive the sign of death on your head and we put it in the symbol of a cross and say, from dust you came into dust you shall return, but dust is not the end of your story. Listen to Isaiah's words from Isaiah 61 when he says, I've come to comfort those who mourn to replace your ashes with a beautiful headdress. Your mourning with the oil of gladness, your faint spirit with the garment of praise, so that all might see and call you, George, an oak of righteousness, the planting of our God, so that all eyes might see life where death was supposed to reign. Hallelujah, and praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. It's not just Isaiah 61, though, friends. It's also Isaiah 40, another passage the Lord has put in front of us. I'm just sharing two. There are many. Another passage he's put in front of us and then came at me. Oh, I forgot to say this part. Isaiah 61, I'm reading it, and then all of a sudden I get a text from Marta. I was praying for George this morning, and this is the passage she put on my heart. Then I get a text from Kristen. I was praying for George this morning, and this is the passage he put on my heart. Hello. <laughs> when God speaks, he knows that I need lots of little things like that, confirmations, because I don't listen well, right? I'm learning, Lord. I'm learning. But he is gracious to come at us from all these angles. Same thing with Isaiah 40. Two days ago, God puts that, that on my heart. And then I get text messages and songs and other people coming up and saying, hey, this is what I've been praying for, for George. Isaiah 40 is the passage that starts off like this. Comfort, comfort my people, declares the Lord. Because his people has ju have just been brought into exile. And God wants them to know this isn't the end of their story. They think all hope is lost. And God said, you don't understand who I am. It asks the question, the very one that we've been wrestling with when it comes to the twist. He says, why do you say, O Israel, and complain, O, 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 o people of God? Our way is hidden from the Lord. Translation, why do you think God doesn't see you? 
and care for you? Why do you get stuck there? Our God, Yahweh, is the everlasting God, the creator of the heavens and the earth. He does not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He's the one who gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even in the natural realm, where use even, those who have unending, well, you guys don't really have unending energy anymore, do you? So smaller than those guys, the, the, the ones that run around after the service, right? Even youths grow tired and weary. That's the way the natural world works, right? Young men stumble and fall, but those who wait upon or hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. This is our God. This is what he does. This is who he is. He does not need to function within what is normal. It's why he's called supernatural. It's why it's called miracles. And God, as we have continued to lean in and to give him our whole hearts, our whole hearts, our whole hearts. He didn't have to say yes. And he'd still be good. But he has said yes. And George, as of this morning, as far as I know, is already halfway to getting home. Halfway to getting home. One night when we were there, praying early on, crying out for a miracle, saying, Lord, of all weeks, it's Easter week, it's Holy Week, would you bring a miracle? We need a miracle. Please, please, Lord. We knew you did it in Jerusalem with Jesus. You raised him on the third day. We know you've done it with Lazarus. We've seen healings, even in our midst. Would you do it again? A bunch of us were gathered and praying for George. And as we ended that time, all of a sudden, one of the guys who works at the hospital, one of the chaplains, comes in. I think it was Haitian. He steps up, and we're like, hey, Father, he's Catholic. Hey, Father, w- would you like to come join us and pray with us? He says, sure, let's, let's pray. But let me just tell you what, what happened already this morning. He points to the other people in the waiting room. Her husband died. And they called it. And God sent this chaplain to that room to pray over that man. And he's alive. He's alive, friends. We think God did awesome stuff 2,000 years ago. And that's where we're going to put our hope. Yes, it's rooted there, friends. But that God is alive. And he does miracles today. 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 So we prayed together, and then we went and prayed over George, and he, th- this uh, chaplain was laughing. He's like, the doctors have never seen anything like it. And we said, yeah, well, they're going to see it again. Amen. They're going to see it again with George, and they are seeing it again. So please keep praying. 
Please keep crying out. Don't stop. Let's keep asking until we see all the way down to the bottom, until we see George Cox walking down this aisle. George, do you see your seat? It's right there. There's a reserved sign on it. No one is allowed to sit in that seat until George is sitting in it. We get through this together, friends, but we don't just get through. God builds our faith as he stretches us beyond what is humanly possible and reminds us in real time that he's a good dad. But he is the maker of the universe, the everlasting God. He does not grow tired or weary. His understanding, no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary. And increases the power of the weak. Where are you asking God to do that in your own life today? Where are you asking God to do that in someone else's life today? Where are you afraid and maybe even tempted to believe you've got to give only 50% of your heart? Because if I give it all, what if his answer is not yet? Friends, if you don't give it all, His answer will only ever be not yet. Please don't miss that. Jeremiah says this. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with your whole heart. It's the twist, the trap that keeps us from giving God the very thing he's asking for so that he can give us a better yes now. We already know it's not a question of if. It's a question of when. For he is risen. He is risen indeed. Let's pray. Jesus, we adore you this morning. We honor you with every ounce of our beings. There is literally no one like you. No one sits next to you. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are enthroned above. You are God of gods and Lord of lords. You are King of kings. You are the almighty, the everlasting one, the one that's worthy of all praise and adoration. And so we give it with all of our hearts, Lord. And we confess to you today that we have absolutely, Lord, been tempted to and given into the temptation to guard our hearts from you. Because there are parts of all of our lives, Lord, where we have felt the sting of not yet. We carry the wounds of what we thought was a no. And we have yet to see the better yes. We praise you, God, that you are better than we thought. Your goodness is beyond measure. We praise you that you give us inbreakings of heaven like this man who was raised from the dead at Good Sam this week, like Dr. George Cox, who was on the verge of death and given a death sentence, and you canceled that in Jesus' name, and you are bringing him down the path of life, and it will come to fruition. We believe it, and we stand in it, Jesus. But God, there are some even here today who you are inviting to give over their whole hearts to you. 
to let go of the fear and the control. To be honest about the pain. You're welcoming us, Lord, to go deeper, to get closer, to be naked and unashamed in your presence. You already know. You already see. That's why you keep inviting us. Come, all who are weak and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. My yoke is easy, my burden is light, and I have rest for your souls. Jesus, thank you that Easter Sunday was a declaration of that rest for us. Shalom, shalom, perfect peace. We're asking that this morning, Holy Spirit, you would do what you're so good at. Take broken pieces and tie them back together. Would you remove the fig leaves, Lord, that we have used to hide our hearts from you? Would you take the twist the truth that we have been believing it and remove it in Jesus' name. And instead, Lord God, would, would you nourish us with the truth that we were made to know from before we were even breathing one breath on this earth. You love us. You love us. Abba so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish, never die, but have everlasting life. We find our rest in you this morning, Lord Jesus, in the heart of our Abba, our dad, we ask, oh God, for more. Pour out your love on us. Heal our hearts. Rain down with miracles. Would hearts of stone turn to flesh today in Jesus' name? Would the dead rise today in Jesus' name? Would those who are sick even with terminal diagnoses. Be healed today in Jesus' name. Would relationships that have been broken for far too long find their healing today? Broken hearts mended in Jesus' name. God, would you grow our hearts? Give us the strength we need, Lord, to believe and receive the love that is beyond measure. The height and depth and width and breadth that is the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. We praise you, God. We praise you, Abba. We praise you, Holy Spirit. Be blessed, be honored, and keep going. Fill that hospital room right now where George is. Fill that space with your Holy Spirit. Breathe new life into those lungs in Jesus' name. Bring that completion, that healing all the way down to the bottom, Lord. 
Heal his heart. Heal both lungs. We pray against atrophy in his legs. We pray for strength in those legs, Lord God. We pray for strength in his body. That, Lord, renewal would happen. Not just healing, renewal. That the doctors would be wowed and shocked again and again and again. Not with the whisper of your miraculous healing, but with the thunderclap. You have heard our prayers. They are a pleasing aroma, an incense that rises up to heaven that you say you're pleased with. And when you answer, you answer like lightning from heaven. So come, let it thunder, let it lightning, and bring healing to our beloved Dr. George Cox. And to everyone in this place, to everyone in this place and watching online, Lord, that is crying out, Would you draw them near? Would you heal their hearts? And would you hear our prayers? We bring them in the name of the risen one. The victor. The one who has conquered. The one who is above it all. The one who loves us. And the one that we love. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, we love you. Hear our hearts now, we pray. Hear our hearts, Lord Jesus. 